how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He is burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who have, were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Lord, as we hear your word this morning, even the hard words of lament, the hard words even from you, Lord Jesus, of the forsakenness of Jerusalem, I, I pray that uh, we could hear these words um, as a consolation to us, Lord, that you are still at work and that you are calling us to yourself and that when even when life feels um, out of control or chaos surrounds or when we find ourselves in a season of lament that you, um, like you said, Jesus, desire to gather us to yourself as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. <clears throat> so I pray, <clears throat> Lord, that you would come you would speak to us, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. We're in a series on the book of Lamentations, and I want you to notice that Dave gave me the verses on wrath and then left town. So make of that what you will. Um, it's a hard chapter, hard words to hear, out of Lamentations chapter 2. And before we talk directly about... Um, what's the elephant in the room related to the wrath of God. I wanna talk about lament itself and I wanna talk about exile because I think we have to understand these words against those two backdrops. What is lament? What, what function does it perform? What does it do for us? Why is it such a feature, not just of this book of the Bible, but the Psalms and the whole Testament itself? What is lament? And then, um, the story and the pattern of exile and how that helps us understand something of what's going on in these verses. So I want to start with lament. The book of Lamentations, it's all right there in the title, is a book of lament of five poems. And they are centered on the question of how could Jerusalem fall? How could the Babylonians come in you're speaking about events that happened in 586 BC. How could this happen? What are we gonna do now? And is there a way back? 
how could God let this happen? What are we going to do now? And is there a way back? And I think that part of what lament helps us process is that there is no path back, but there is a way forward. So we can't go back to what was. As much as we want, maybe, to go back to things, if things could just be the way that they were, maybe that resonates right now. Maybe we could hit the reset button and pretend like the last two years didn't happen. There is no path back, there's only a way forward. But until we grieve, until we confess our own sin, until we lament, until we cry out to God, we're, we're gonna find ourselves stuck. We're just gonna be stuck and we can't move forward. There's probably one verse from the book of Lamentations that you're familiar with if you've been around church at all. It's probably a shocking verse in light of what we just read but it's from Lamentations chapter three. So you'll get it next week from Dave. The steadfast Lord, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But I want you to keep that in your head. How do we get from the verses we read this morning? How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. How do we get from there to great is your faithfulness? What is the path from that verse to the verse that we want to put on a coffee cup. Nobody puts Lamentations 2.1 on a coffee cup. If you did, I would drink coffee from it. So it'd be pretty fun. But how do we get from there to there? I would say that lament itself is a path by which we move from how great is the anger of the Lord to how great is his faithfulness. Part of the answer is lament itself. Lament is the path, the process by which we can move from grief to joy. My wife's in the mental health profession. One of the things that she's helped me understand and is deeply important and true in pastoral ministry too is that we have to turn toward what hurts, not away from it. And lament is a way of turning towards the things that hurt. Jerusalem has fallen. All the elites of the city have been shamefully marched back to Babylon. The temple has been plundered. The city has been burned. And this book bears witness to how much that hurts and how confusing that is. How could this happen? What are we gonna do now? Is there a way back? Lament is bearing witness from within the pain itself to anger, confusion, and doubt to our questioning. And in the form we have it in the book of Lamentations, lament gives form to the formless. It's poetry. In fact, it's a highly structured and stylized poetry. It's an acrostic poem that uses the Hebrew alphabet in each of the first four chapters, and there's a verse that corresponds to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem. We can say that it's a comprehensive poem because it goes from A to Z, four times over. But the pattern of the poem, the scholars describe the actual rhythm of the poetry in the Hebrew as having a limping rhythm. You might remember this from high school English when you count the syllables. (laughs) What's the beat of the poem? 
the beat of this poem is that it limps. Isn't that interesting? It has this form, A to Z, it's giving form to the formless, but even in its own way, it's limping forward. That's lament. The poetry self is walking wounded. It's also worth noting that within the book itself, God never speaks. It's all directed to God. God never speaks directly in the book. We hear our side of the lament, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but we've heard God's side of his lament through his prophets. When he raised up Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and all the others, and they came and they reminded God's people of the covenant promises that they were breaking, God gave him, his people, his lament. And we heard Jesus' lament in the Gospel of Luke. Oh, Jerusalem, how I would want to gather you, but you would not. What is lament? Lamentations 2.19, not part of our reading, but helps us. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. That's lament. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Give form to what feels formless, bear witness to what is painful from within the pain itself. I think this is one reason that we typically have music at funerals, trying to give form to what feels formless. Um, This may seem like a trivial example, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Some of the greatest albums um, from great artists are their breakup albums. (laughs) Think of Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks, or if you like sad dad indie rock like me, Uh, Bon Iver's For Emma Forever Ago is one of the great breakup albums of all time that has a story attached to it. Somebody gets their heart broken and goes and hides in a cabin in Wisconsin and writes this achingly beautiful album. That pain and that sense of chaos can spark creativity. We can think of Lamentations as the breakup album from the standpoint of God's people. And at the heart are those three questions again, given everything that has happened, is there a way back? Can we ever come back from exile? And what are we gonna do now? And that word exile is so key. It's the major pattern, of one of the major patterns of the Old Testament. If we don't understand exile, we can't have any chance of understanding this book. And we can't understand uh, our own redemption if we don't understand exile. We sang this morning and come thou found, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. From Eden onward, that's what's in our hearts. Without redemption, that's what we do. We wander, we leave. That's what it means to live east of Eden. We're prone to wander, Lord, I I feel it. When things are working as they should, and we see this in the Old Testament itself, when there's harmony, when the people are living in accord with themselves and with God, three things converge. A people and a place and the presence of God. And all of those things are intimately entwined. The people of God meeting in the place that God has appointed and where God's presence dwells. Within the Old Testament itself, that's the temple in Jerusalem. 
in the book of Second King or in First Kings, when Solomon dedicates the temple, the glory of God, the presence of God descends on that place. Convergence of people, place, and presence. And he has that beautiful prayer. But within Solomon's prayer, he acknowledges himself that if the people are faithless, and if the people decide to and continually worship false gods, idols, if they continually practice injustice, they will be purged from the land. They will be sent into exile. That is the ministry of the prophets, to come and to beckon God's people back from the brink of exile, to rend their hearts and not their garments, that God sends prophets over and over and over again to bear witness to his love for his people, to his covenant faithfulness to his people, and to his determination to forgive them if they will simply turn back. But Lamentations bears witness to the fact that they didn't and that time ran out. In the book of Ezekiel, he sees the glory depart from the temple. The presence leaves. And then the people are cast out of the land too. And that's the devastation of exile. A people dispersed, cast to the nations, a place destroyed, the presence gone. That's what this book is talking about. The city is lonely, the city is empty, the royal city has become a city of slaves. And lament is a process within that feeling and sense and maybe a figurative or literal exile that through language itself, through crying out to God, through laying everything before God, our doubt, our disappointment, our anger, our utter confusion, that God can move his people from desolation to consolation, that he can move them from the anger of the Lord to the mercy of the Lord never ceases. The lament here is much about exile. How could this happen? How could God's people who had the temple and the presence not have those things anymore? Can we believe that God will keep his promises now? One promise was kept with exile. If you persist in sin, if you continue to worship other gods, you will be exiled. But there's another promise. One of David's sons will rule forever. <laughs> How do we reconcile these things? You are cast out of the land, but one of David's sons will rule forever. If you go read the very last chapter of the book of Second Kings, the very last chapter of the book of Jeremiah, they end with the same image. God's people are in exile, and one of David's idiot sons, one of his idiot grandchildren, who didn't listen, is in prison in Babylon. And he is brought out of prison, he is clothed, he is bathed, and he's invited to sit at the table of the king. It's a sliver of hope. Only a sliver that God is working to bring about his promises to place a son of David on the throne of Israel forever. That's the Old Testament in a nutshell from my perspective. This pattern of exile, God's persistence in pursuing his people, but that at a certain point, those consequences catch up with his people. And even still, God is at work to bring about his greater promise that one of David's sons will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Now, wrath. 
Lamentations 2.5, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentations. Wrath is difficult theologically. It's difficult emotionally to think about. It's one of the least pleasant things to dwell on, but we have to, because if we don't, it's like cutting out a huge portion of the Bible, and not just the Old Testament, by the way. It's all over the place. The theologian Fleming Rutledge, in her book on the crucifixion, gives this definition of wrath, and I think it's very helpful for us. She says that wrath is the unconditioned love of God manifest against anything that would frustrate or destroy the designs of his love. Let me say that again. God's wrath is the unconditioned love of God manifest against anything that would frustrate or destroy the designs of his love, including, up to and including his own people, because they have come to frustrate God's designs of love. What was Israel meant to do? to bear witness to the steadfast love of the Lord. And because they worship false gods, because they practiced injustice, because they did all the things that the prophets said that they did, they had actually become a frustration to the designs of the love of God, for his intention to gather the nations to himself. And within Lamentations itself, there's a recognition of this. Lamentations 118, the Lord is in the right, for I have transgressed his word. So there's not just an outcry in, in lament, there's an acknowledgement that I'm part of the problem. Yes, there are things out here that are not the way that they're supposed to be and I'm gonna point those things out and I'm gonna bring them before the presence of God, but it's not right in here either. The Lord is in the right for I have transgressed his word. Rutledge goes on to say that one of the reasons that we have a problem with wrath is this, justice for ever, everyone is an alarming thought because it raises the possibility that it might come upon myself after all. <laughs> Meaning, I might be part of the problem too. I might have injustice in my own heart. And the horror of exile is the realization that sometimes God's own people are the ones who frustrate the love of God. And that's not just a word for ancient Israel, that's a word for us too that we can frustrate the word, the love of God, and that God's wrath is not an emotional quality. It represents him moving in the world in such a way that he is going to bring about his ultimate design. The great Anglican missionary and theologian Leslie Newbegin says this about wrath. God's wrath is not turned away by anything outside of God. God's wrath is not turned away by anything outside of God. This is what distinguishes the wrath of God from a pagan understanding of the wrath of the gods, where we propitiate the gods, we can just figure out what the right sacrifice is. If we can sacrifice our daughter so that we can go to war with Troy, that's what happens in the Iliad. That's not what God's wrath is. Because Newbegin is exactly right. God's wrath is not turned away by anything outside of God. God turns away his own wrath. That son of David turns away God's own wrath. That the son and the father and the spirit determine in themselves from the foundation of the world that the answer 
to the wrath of God will be within God himself. The lamb slain from the foundations of the world. So the cross is God's answer. And what an answer. I will join you in exile. I will take on flesh. I will live and dwell among you. And then I will take upon myself that wrath. So, where does that leave us? There's a podcast called Ask N.T. Write Anything. I call it Ask N.T. Write N.T. Thing. Yeah. I do. Most people don't laugh, so thank you. A guy called in once uh, to ask N.T. Write N.T. Thing, and he asked... Um, did my affair cause the death of my child? Oh, man. I'm glad I was not on the receiving end of that pastoral phone call. Did my affair cause the death of my child? And what dear Tom Wright said is so important for us when we talk about the wrath of God and all these things. There is a great temptation to draw a straight line between things, between cause and effect. Be careful about that. Within your own life, and in the world at large, drawing a straight line between X happened, so therefore Y is a result of that. But what he goes on to say is, don't miss the opportunity to examine yourself and to repent. So what is he saying to the guy? Hey, I can't, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you're a fair cause, I, I don't think so but don't miss the opportunity to examine yourself and to repent. What does Jesus say? He's about to go into Jerusalem. He's about to die. It cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. The pattern of exile happened again. Israel came back in some form. They actually rebuilt the temple. It wasn't as good as Solomon's temple. They say so themselves. <laughs> but they still built it. And Jesus ministered there. But he predicts that that temple will be torn down too. And that's what happens in AD 70. It happens again. The same pattern. Because until we turn the Lord the pattern of exile will just persist. Until we turn home, the pattern of exile will just persist. So we can say, yes, on one hand, lament is a poetry of protest. The world is not as it should be. But it is also a poetry of repentance. I'm part of the problem too. There's injustice in me. God, you are right and righteous in your ways are just altogether. The great psalm of the season of Lent is Psalm 51. David caught out in his sin with Bathsheba, the cover-up and killing Uriah. You know the story. He comes face to face with his own sin. And in that psalm, he says something so interesting. If you would have desired a sacrifice, I would give it to you. 
but the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. You have yet to despise those things. He saw to the heart of things in that moment, that the sacrificial system was always pointing beyond itself to a deeper reality, that God was actually after the heart. That's what God was always after and still after. And that's why David was the man after God's own heart. (laughs) Not because he got everything right, he did not. He was a terrible father and he had a bunch of idiot sons who did a bunch of stupid stuff that led to the exile of God's people. And yet he understood that a broken and contrite heart you have yet to despise. Meaning, if we pour our hearts out like water before the Lord, he's told us that he'll meet us there. That's a promise. And as difficult as it is to meditate on the wrath of God, if we remember that nothing turns, the answer to wrath does not come from outside of God, it comes from within God. The Son of God incarnate, coming to live among us as a fulfillment to that promise to bring us back from exile and to be the son of David who sits on the throne forever. So that's an invitation to you that this pattern of prayer is for us. It's not just something in the Bible. In the Jewish tradition, the book of Lamentations is read every year. Not simply to remember the destruction of the temple twice over, but to remember that we live in a world where the pattern of exile persists. Because God has dealt with his wrath from in himself, he deals with the pattern of exile. He makes our homecoming possible, which is why we can lament and why we can trust that in lament we can get from chapter two to chapter three. And it's not an easy route. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that and say that it's easy, it's not. But we have to turn towards the pain. The only way out is through. You can't go back, you have to go forward. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for these words. And I truly, I thank you for hard words that um, help us come face to face with perhaps our own um, misunderstandings or our own um, sin and that help us see to these deeper realities and patterns. And Lord, we thank you that you have persistently and consistently pursued your people and that you persistently and consistently pursue us and that um, your voice is speaking even, even now. And I pray that if we hear your voice this morning, that we would not harden our hearts. Teach us, Lord, to pour out our hearts before you like water and meet us in that place of brokenness, of vulnerability. Bring us back, Lord, from exile. We beg of you. In Jesus' name, amen.